Again, we're going to read Acts chapter 4, verse 32, to Acts chapter 5, verse 11. As I mentioned, it really is a tale of two cities. And there's really two views that, that we have here before us. Uh, we have the authenticity of great grace. That's one city. And we have the duplicity of disgrace. And that's the other city that we'll see here. Uh, and as we, as we look at this m- massive contrast, uh, we're going to learn, I hope, a really terrific lesson about what it is that grace can really do in, in our lives. So, verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put them at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. You know, the, the beautiful picture that we've got here is we see a new people created by Father God, a new people to eclipse God's effort at having a people throughout the Old Covenant, but now a people empowered by the Spirit and fueled by a vision of generosity of their king. A generosity in 2 Corinthians 8, 9 that we often quote because it's such a great grace passage. Because they knew this. These people knew this. What Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That although he was rich, he became poor for your sakes so that you by his poverty could become rich. These are a people that knew this, knew in the idea of being intimate with, with, with the grace of God. And whenever Luke takes a moment to pause as he's going through the, the human highlight reel, the da na of the book of Acts, uh, where, you know, we see the top 10 plays you know, of the first 30 years as we make our way through the, the book of Acts. Whenever he pauses to take a peek as he does in Acts chapter 2, as he does here, we see a depth of unity that is breathtaking. But here's the important part. This unity is born out of practice, born out of what they do, born out of what it is that they share and they sacrifice together with joy in their hearts as they do so. It's not a unity that comes out of, well, these are our shared beliefs. You you can share a whole bunch of doctrines and beliefs and not have this kind of one heart, one mind unity that that occurs. Unity occurs by doing stuff together, by making a difference together. How many of you um, have ever played flag football way back, you know, because there's so many older people in this room, way back when we used to, you know, kind of play singles versus uh, marrieds, remember? All right, now, there's a lot of us that, that were in those games. Where were the memories made? On the field during the plays or in the huddle? It was on the field, right? That's where we came away like, oh, I love you, man. Oh, to be brothers in arms, that was tremendous. Right? when we were doing something. Whereas we're men. But when men just sit around looking at each other, you know what happens in the huddle? 
There's actually disunity. No, I'm open. No, I'm open. No, we should do this plan. But there's nothing like going out and doing stuff together as men. And, and even this kind of break behind the scenes is, is not of them having contemplative time with one another. It was of them going out, selling their possessions, finding people who needed it, redistributing, preaching to all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, making a difference in massive quantities where they went from 3,000 to, to, just mentioned a moment ago, 5,000, where, where they were boldly praying, boldly making a difference. That's where unity is going to happen. If, if we're in a Bible talk and you feel like in any way the Bible talk doesn't have legendary unity that needs to be written about somewhere, well, it's, it's probably because you're spending too much time in a Bible talk with the same visitor who's been coming for the last 18 months trying to act as though we're making a big difference as we bring the word to our community uh, when in fact maybe it might be a whole lot better to bring that visitor along and show him the joy of what it is to have a transcendent purpose in our lives and, and, and go kind of roll on up uh, to, to the nearest strip mall and bring Jesus, bring Jesus one with another. That's where we have great memories. Those are the times, I mean, going, going street preaching in Baltimore has bonded me forever with three, four brothers when we would do that on a consistent basis. Getting kicked out of Columbia Mall uh, outside of D.C. For, you know, for, I'm never going to forget those times ever. But trying to kind of stare down 50 fraternity brothers that were running naked on UVA's campus. Uh, those are the times when we're preaching Jesus, even in those moments, that we're bonded forever. Right? We don't know the craziness that's going to occur unless we get out there and actually do something uh, along the way. So, brothers... My goodness, think of it even now. Maybe you're not the Bible talk leader. You don't need to be. Call the play. Even though that you're the, the, the tight end, call the play. Let's get out. Let's do something. Let's go sell some of our stuff. Let's see what it is that we can do to make a difference over in India. What, what it is that we can do to make a difference even in our own backyards. We're men. Let's do stuff together. But it's, it's nothing like the times where we are shoulder to shoulder, facing the same direction, Moving on. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Well, here is the first example of our tale of two cities. And here we have a city that is authenticity. It is the authenticity of great grace. This is a man who allowed what is described here as the great grace upon them, allowed the great grace of God, not just to be upon him, but to really work its way deep into his very soul. And when you allow the gospel, the gospel of grace, to really work its way deep into your conscience, into your, into your understanding of who you are and the way that events relate to you in this world. When you allow grace to seep on in that deep, great grace to be upon you, welcoming it, cherishing it, inviting it, marinating it, allowing it to, to kind of really just infuse you and be who you are, to make the understanding of your life and, and to then become an expression of that, that's what Barnabas did. This is the first of 23 more mentions of Barnabas. Barnabas was a man of exhortation. 
a man of, I see the need that needs to be taken care of, and we're going to do this thing. Cyprus, Antioch, wherever it is that we need to go, and pre- we can do this thing. We've got the Holy Spirit. We're with, we all can do this thing. That's the son of exhortation. That is the man that exhorted everyone around him to be nothing less than the body of Christ. Why? Because he was infused with the gospel message of grace. That's no small thing because when grace comes upon you to that degree and you begin to recognize this message, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when you allow that to work its way all the way in, then you can't help but then to have integrity to the the whole circuit of grace. You know, think of it almost as an electrical circuit that, that it always is wanting to complete its, its, its circuit. That just as you have been lavished with a generosity that is unreasonable, an unreasonable generosity from Jesus, that he impoverished himself so that you can sit here rich, so that you can have treasure in heaven, so that you can have an imper- inheritance that can never perish, fade, or spoil, kept in heaven for you, guaranteed. That's who you are, as you said here, that, that, that you are, as, as Jesus says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Like, that's what you get. So sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide for yourselves purses that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never diminishes. Somebody who gets that suddenly has a pretty cool perspective on even their own possessions. And Barnabas was a man informed deeply in his heart, mind, and soul of the grace that was his. And as a result, he was excited to reciprocate proportionally. In the way that he'd been given, he was a man eager to be able to return in like fashion with authenticity to the degree that his king, his savior, the one who disrupted his life and gave him meaning and significance and honor, that to that one, whatever it is that he could do to make a difference, so he would. This outlandish generosity that was Christ's then became his as well in the ways that he knew how. Jesus did it with his very blood. Barnabas did it with things that to him suddenly no longer enslaved him, his possessions. And the more that the gospel of grace informs our soul, the more that we gain victory over sin and self and stuff and are are no longer shackled back by it, but run freely without hypocrisy, with integrity, and with power, unbridled, as we align ourselves with the gift of the Holy Spirit that empowers us when we take this very track. The track of Barnabas, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. He was in alignment with the very work of God, and so the Holy Spirit was not hindered in any way because the path was pure. And it was one that was in absolute concert with the very work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and as a result, we, we see him with joy, and he ends up with a really cool nickname. What's the nickname you want to be known by? People talk about you years from now. Maybe you move and you go off on a mission team and you make a big difference and off you go and, and, we, and we remember you. What is it that you'd like it to be? Well, here's the encouraging part. You can decide it. Because what he did in his giving was not. When you're filled with grace, your giving goes from being 
reactive and I'm trying to think of this the right way. Reactive and passive is, is giving when you're not filled with grace, right? When Jerry Lewis wants to uh, get money for his telethon, he brings out things that invoke feelings of guilt. And, and amen that he has to do that because those kids need the money. But, but, but you're there passive. You happen to see it passively. Not that you went after it. You didn't wake up saying, you know what? I'm going to make a difference in muscular dystrophy today. We don't, right? We, we, we passively come upon it and reactionary give if it happens in that way. Barnabas was neither of those things. Look at what he does. He is the one who decides to take the initiative to sell the field, to bring the money, to trust in the body of Christ. And so he becomes proactive and intentional. And it's that proactive, proactivity and intentionality that really brings about his legacy and his nickname. What's going to be your proactive intentionality as you respond to the power of grace that has come to grip you and define every step that you take for the rest of your days as you head towards the kingdom that God is waiting to give you in fullness. What will be your response to that? What will be your reciprocal, proportional, intentional, proactive response to the gift of Jesus who made him impoverished himself so that you now spend the rest of your days with an inheritance of riches? Riches that are unspeakable and incomparable. What will it be? What will you decide for that? Again, be intentional. Be proactive. Don't be waiting for a a, a guilt-invoking image to, to suddenly drive you to action. Decide. Let the Scriptures, let the Holy Spirit, let intentional advice decide that that will be the direction of your life as you respond to the grace of God. But now on the flip side of the authenticity of great grace comes the duplicity of disgrace. Let's read on. Now a man Ananias, chapter 5, verse 1, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, you know, instead of calling this the duplicity of disgrace, we could also call this the complicity, because of her, of disgrace. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied just to a human, to human beings, but... You've lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Earlier we see great grace. Now we see great fear. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price for you that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church 
and all who heard about these events. And so on the tale of two cities, the duplicity of disgrace, you know, a dangerous holiness is God's response to a determined hypocrisy. And that is exactly where Ananias and Sapphira were coming from. They had predetermined hypocrisy in the way that they would worship God. And this is clearly an act of worship. Our giving is an act of worship. The root of that word, even in English, is worth-ship. It is the, the, the way that we express our estimation of the worth of God in our sight. It is no problem at all to give to that which is your God. If your God happens to be your health, you're happy to open the bank account for anything for your health. If your God is your fitness, you suddenly find a way to reapportion great resources for your fitness. If, you're, if your God is the, the, the woman that you're, you're pursuing, hey, same thing, all of these happen. But if your God is God, then likewise, there is no trouble whatsoever to, to recognize that He is God, He is holy, He is just, and yet He is merciful. And He shed His own blood for my soul. He is God. He is my God, my Redeemer. And it is no effort. It's a joy, a delight, in fact, to give all, to give all that I have to Him. And to do it with authenticity rather than duplicity. But here is duplicity. And we know the story. This is not an unfamiliar ground to us. And we know the motivation. It's, they, I think they saw Barnabas. He got a cool nickname. Maybe we'll get a cool nickname. Uh, who knows how this is going to go down. But the big difference here is grace is a circuit. And to corrupt it or pollute it is no joke. Jesus gave all. He didn't give part of himself. He gave all. Completely, fully. He gave all for you, for Ananias, for Sapphira. And for them to put on a facade of giving all as a response, as a reciprocal proportional response to the grace circuit that had come their way. And in a society where grace comes your way, in, in any society of, of the ancient Near East, then it's always that grace then continues on that circuit back to the one that has given it to you. Not to earn merit, but just as a normal expression. But to take that grace, that stream of grace that has come your way, and then pollute that stream as they did, is an absolute shame upon shame. There's no honor in this, even though they gave maybe more of their uh, net worth than maybe any of us. But the idea that they wanted praise from men, the idea that they did not embrace God's sovereignty and God's real lordship over them uh, really gets corrupted in this transaction as it goes down here. And it's a, it's a frightening idea. And, and Peter says, you've lied to God. Now, that is a terrifying concept if you let that marinate. You lied to God. Think about someone important, perhaps a, a boss or someone that you decide that you're going to lie to that person. Maybe it was a principal when you're young, but you're going to lie to that person. How, how you really had to like think it through, you know, gulp deep, and then out with the lie. Well, this is not a principal or your grandfather or your mom that is in view here. 
This is God Himself. Terrifying. And even more terrifying is that we see from the passage that God takes our deceit, our duplicity as a personal offense. When we stop being amazed by the holiness of God, we open the door to minimize the sin in our life or anyone else's life. And in doing so, we also devalue the cost of the cross and the grace of the cross. We need to heed Proverbs 1, 7, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of knowing the grace of God, knowing the holiness of God, knowing the value of the gift, knowing the value of the relationship. But what they failed to do is they failed to let great grace come upon them. They had the same option that was available to Barnabas. Just let the grace of God fill you inform you, guide you, shape you. And as a result, your life is one that is of an exuberant response when you allow that to be the case. But they, somewhere along the way, decided that great grace was not going to light upon them and really stay there. But that instead, they would play it their way. They would shape it their way. And do it by by their own rules. When you're someone who has been fully informed by the grace of God, the sky's the limit. Right? Never again do you think, oh, if I give this much, will I be viewed by God positively? You never think that way again. Or if I give this much, maybe God will be in my debt. You never think that way. Because you don't play that game anymore. Instead, the only game you play is, who am I to have been so blessed? among all people on this earth, by such great love of Jesus Himself impoverishing Himself. So here I am, wealthy beyond compare. My goodness, what is it that I wouldn't do with whatever it is that He's provided to me to be able to be a blessing in alignment with His will for for, for others? And if you see your salvation is in Christ, Christ alone, then your attitude towards money is, I want to give it away in a radical and drastic proportional way. I want to change people's lives through what he's given me. It's not mine. But if your salvation is not in Christ, but if your salvation is in your job or your clothes or your friends or your family, your relationships and your romance and your status and your uh, securities, then you're going to hold on to that money and it's going to go effortlessly to the things that are your real God. But it won't go effortlessly to God. And you'll never know You'll never know the beauty of an unbridled life aligned with the will of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, amazed at how God just works out so many amazing coincidences as you serve him so fruitfully with with, with your life. And as we take some time now, let's take a look at how it is that the grace of God should inform us about how we consider our, our possessions, our wealth, our money, and what it is that we should do with it. Again, how is it that the grace of God, great upon you, should inform the way that you think about your money? How does it set you free from, from that? How does it set you on a path of reciprocating, closing the circuit, and even greater joy? 
when we really understand the grace of God through, through Christ. So let's, let's go ahead, break to our groups, have a chance to, to discuss a bit. Even if you, know, you don't have Bible talks here, you just see other guys, just pop in. Maybe, maybe grab some guys just to be able to talk about, if I, if I really let the grace of God deeply, deeply in on me, what difference will that make in the way that I view the stuff that God has given me and how I can be set free from that stuff? All right, guys, let's, let's go ahead and break to our, our group.